Welcome to the Afternoon Drive. I'm Thomas Vermazen. I'm your host, and I'm excited. My first episode today. Here with Big J here in the studio. It's been awesome hanging out with him this afternoon. And I'll start with a little bit about myself. I am a former athlete. I grew up in San Diego, California. Played soccer, flag football, basketball, baseball, and then focused on baseball as I got into high school and then played baseball into my first two years of college at a small college and then played a couple of summers in Hawaii for a collegiate summer league. And so I played baseball until I was 21. And then I have since played some adult softball, (laughs) slow pitch softball, but that's about the extent of the athletics for me. Once in a while, I'll play a pickup basketball game. But uh, so far in the last 10 years, now that I'm 31, it's it's been less and less. But I have always had a passion for sports, and I still follow it. I still day-to-day read up on all the different stories, do a more extensive deep dive on some of these stories, and that's why I want to have this show, because this show is about going deeper into the stories. We have so many quick 10-second sound bites today all over the place. You can find them at many different sports sites. And then they always talk mostly about, you know, the superstars, the, the same topics over and over. And so I'll kind of go into more topics and some similar topics that aren't discussed at length and aren't given the time and energy that some of the listeners out there, I think, can appreciate. And with that, I'm going to start on my first story today. So we all know that March Madness is here. We have the NCAA tournament starting on Thursday with the first four. And the big-time tournament games start Friday this year. A little different. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then the following rounds, Sweet 16 starts Saturday, Sunday, and then Elite Eight Monday, Tuesday. And then the final four, Saturday, and then the championship Monday. And so that's the upcoming schedule. The tournament this year is going to be interesting. There, there's no Kentucky. There is no Duke. There are a handful of teams that think they can win it all. I think there's one, however, that stands above the rest. And it's the team I'm going to focus on and give you a little bit of a deep dive into. And if you're a fan of this team, you may enjoy it. Even if you're not a fan, you may find this interesting. And the team I am going to be talking about at length is the Gonzaga Bulldogs. This Gonzaga Bulldog program has been transformed over the past 22 years. I'm going to start in 1999, the year they were the Cinderella team. They were a 10 seed. They were led by their coach, Dan Munson, at that time. And Dan Munson was a second-year coach, and he led them to the WCC title that year. And he led them into the tournament where they beat Minnesota and then Stanford, who was a two seed, and Florida in the Sweet 16 before losing to eventual champion UConn in the Elite Eight. Munson would actually leave after that season and his assistant, Mark Few, would take over the team 
and you may be familiar with Mark Few, he is the current head coach of Gonzaga. Mark Few would take the team the next two years to -to back-to-back Sweet 16s. And I want to mention a couple of players from those original teams, Matt Santangelo and Richie Fran, who were the backcourt of the Gonzaga Bulldogs in 1999 and 2000. I was lucky enough as a kid to see that 2000 Gonzaga team when they played USD. I was here in San Diego and I was able to get into the gym. It was a small gym. It was before USD rebuilt their arena, the current arena they have today in 2021. And I got in there, sat in the aisle and watched the game. And it was a great game. It was down to the wire and Gonzaga pulled it out. And it was their backcourt that really led the way, Matt Santangelo and Richie Fram. So if you ever hear about Gonzaga, you hear about some of the other big names that I'll get into. But remember that that backcourt of Fram and Santangelo was really what catapulted the program at the beginning. 2001, their star player was a guy named Casey Calvary, who had made his third Sweet 16 with the team. And then in 2002, they were led by a guy named Dan DeCal. This guy was a three-point marksman, and he actually got them to a six seed, which was their highest seed at that point. They were actually favored in their first round game, whereas the previous three years, they were a 10 seed, a 10 seed, and a 12 seed. Dan DeCal ended up drafted in the 2002 draft, 28th overall by the Sacramento Kings. And DeCal was their first player of this current Zags run to be an NBA draft pick. In 2003, the Zags would win the WCC again, and they would lose the tournament that year. That was the year they lost to USD. That was actually a game I attended. I remember USD with the big upset. And they ended up with a nine seed and losing to Arizona and Luke Walton. For those of you familiar with Luke Walton, Luke Walton ended up being an NBA player for the Lakers for quite a while. And he was on the Arizona Wildcats. And so the Zags that year lost in the second round. And then 2004, they got their highest seed to date and were led by a guy named Blake Stepp. Blake Stepp was a guard and he was WCC player of the year. And they were in the second round where they lost again to Nevada, who was a 10 seed. So at this point, you've seen the Zags be transformed from the Cinderella to now they're a two seed in the NCAA tournament and they're favored to make deeper and deeper runs, but they're having a hard time because sometimes having that extra expectation of winning can make it tougher to, to win the games. So you're seeing a transformation just in these first few years, 2005, you see the team led by Ronnie Turioff and Adam Morrison. Adam Morrison was a sophomore. He actually was, on the team the year before as well when they were a two seed. And I'll say 2004 to six was really those Adam Morrison years where they were consistently one of the best teams in the country, but underperformed. And in 2005, they lost again in the second round, just like in 2004. They got upset this year by Texas Tech. 2006 was the one that most college basketball fans will remember because that was the Adam Morrison crying game versus UCLA in the Sweet 16. They had made it to the Sweet 16 as a three seed. They were playing a two seed UCLA that year and came up short at the end, blowing a 17-point lead in the process. Adam Morrison would get drafted in the 2006 draft, and he would get drafted at number three overall, 
which was the highest any Gonzaga player had been drafted during this current run of Gonzaga glory. Then in 2007, they had a bit of a down year. They made the tournament as a 10 seed, lost in the first round. 2008, they lost to a guy named Steph Curry and the Davidson Wildcats in the first round. They were a 17. They got upset by a 10 seed, Davidson. 2009, they were loaded, got a four seed that year, had a guy named Austin Day, who was their star freshman. And this is kind of the beginning of the one and done era where you had all these guys go to the NBA for just one year and then leave. And he helped them go to the Sweet 16, but they were bounced by the eventual champion that year, North Carolina. Day would get drafted by the Pistons, the 15th overall pick in 2009. 2010, the Zags make the tournament with a young team. They receive an eight seed. They lose in the second round to one-seeded Syracuse. 2011, the Zags claim an 11 seed. They beat St. John's in the first round that year, but lose to Jimmer Fredette and BYU in the second round. That was the year BYU had a great team and ended up coming up short. They had a guy get suspended, I believe, as their second best player got suspended at the end of that year. And then they ended up coming up short of their final four goal. But they were a great Mountain West team that year with Jimmer, who lit the NCAA on fire. So the Zags run into Jimmer that year. 2012. Zags get bounced again in the second round. 2013, the Zags get to their first number one seed in school history with guys Kelly Olenek and Elias Harris leading the way. Olenek, who was an NBA player, ended up drafted 13th overall in the 2013 draft by the Dallas Mavericks. That was the year, and I remember this like yesterday, where Wichita State upset the Zags in the second round. You had a nine seed going up against a one. And typical, the NCAA does this all the time. They get a mid-major and they get another really good mid-major and they pair them and one of them loses early in the tournament. And they always underseed some of these good mid-majors. So Wichita State was in the Missouri Valley Conference at this time. The Missouri Valley Conference is a mid-major and they were definitely underseeded, clearly. And they ended up making the Final Four, losing to Louisville, who won it all that year, and gave them their best game. 2014, the Zags come back as an 8 seed. They get bounced by Arizona in the second round. 2015, Gonzaga finally gets back to an Elite Eight. The first time since 1999, they had made the Elite Eight. So they went 16 years in between appearances. They were led by the senior backcourt of Kevin Pangos and Gary Bell, who were seniors. Kyle Wilshire, the Transfer from Kentucky made a big impact on that team. They lose to Duke. Duke ends up winning the tournament that year. 2016, the Zags reach Sweet 16. Demonza Sabonis, who's a sophomore on that team, ends up declaring for the draft. He's drafted 11th overall by the Orlando Magic. He's a great player in the NBA, an all-star. 2017, that was the year most people think the Zags should have won it all. They went to the national title game. They were led by a guy named Nigel Williams-Goss, who was a transfer from Washington. They also had a guy named Prizemek Karnowski. They had a freshman guard named Josh Perkins and a, and a freshman, Zach Collins. Perkins, actually, he was in his sophomore year. Collins was a freshman. He was their fab freshman. And he ended up drafted 10th overall that year by the Kings. And Goss, Williams Goss, was drafted by the Jazz late in that draft, 55th overall. So they had multiple guys, NBA guys, 
Williams Goff had, I remember that team, that, that team led by Williams Goss had a great opportunity. They lost that national title to North Carolina, easily could have won it. Many thought that was the year they would finally break through and win that national title that had been eluding them for so many years. Unfortunately, they didn't quite get it done. They did make it to the final four, which had eluded them. They made it to the championship game, but still not quite the glory that they're seeking, and that's winning it all. 2018, they come back, make another Sweet 16. A guy named Rui Hachimura is this new upcoming star for them. And then in 2019, they receive a one seed for the third time, and they lose to Texas Tech in the Elite Eight. Hachimura ends up drafted ninth overall by the Washington Wizards. This was just a couple of years ago. And then in 2020, last year, Gonzaga was 31-2 and two and ranked number two in the country when, unfortunately, COVID hit. And they weren't able to compete for a championship, and they would have definitely been a one seed last year. This year, they're a one seed for the fourth time and the overall one seed with an undefeated 26-0 record heading into the tournament. They're led by freshman point guard Jalen Suggs, who looks to be a top pick in this coming draft, as well as potential lottery pick Corey Kispert and probable second-round pick Drew Timmy. So you're looking at a team that's loaded, probably their best team ever, and they're, they're ready for this. They, they, this is the year. And this is why I want to talk about Gonzaga when I talk about March Madness and why I did such an in-depth background on them. This has been building for 22 years. And so they have this program. Mark Few, the coach, he's been around for all 22 years. He's got this program on the, on the precipice of something great and finally getting through and breaking through that door. And I think they, they have a great chance. You look at their bracket. They've beaten the teams in their bracket that are supposed to be their challengers. They've already beaten Virginia earlier this season, who is a four seed in their bracket. They've beaten Iowa, who's the two seed in their bracket. Kansas, who's the three seed. They've beaten all the challengers in their bracket. So they should be prepared to go in there with the confidence, knowing that they can win. And then we get to the final four. We'll see who's left standing. But they're definitely the favorite. This has got to be finally the year for them. Started with a a Cinderella run 22 years ago in Spokane, Washington. And I actually went and visited the school when I was in high school. I thought about becoming a Zag myself. And that's probably another reason why this this story, to me, I'm so familiar with it. And it really hits home and being a college basketball fan as well and going to their, their campus, it felt so small, it felt like a high school. And this was back in 2007. And so knowing how small that program is, it doesn't have the big school vibe where you go to UCLA and it's huge. You go to Arizona state, it's massive. It's a much smaller tight knit college. And so it'll be great to see them finally hopefully win that trophy. So that's the Gonzaga Bulldogs story for you. That's what we're going to do on this program, break down stories for you, give you a little more in-depth knowledge. I got the other NCAA games pulled up here. You never know. I, I, I'm not going to try to predict them all. It's not that show to go through and predict all the games. I know here in San Diego, everyone's going to be interested in the San Diego State game. That game's on Friday Friday night against Syracuse, so we'll see how that goes. Syracuse has got that vaunted 2-3 defense. 
as Big J looks at me with that look, hey, we can do it. We'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a challenge for SDSU. So we'll see. I, I mentioned this on Big J's podcast that I think there's going to be at least one big upset. My, my personal pick would be Grand Canyon over Iowa. That would be a massive one. That's a 15 versus a two. That's on Saturday. But you never know. These games, it's, it's you know, it's luck. <laughs> it's really luck when it comes down to it. It's part of, part of it is, is about, you know, coaching and talent, but some of those first round games, it's, it's just a, it's a chaotic environment. You know, it, it can get, it can get going into a direction that before you know it, it's too late. These games are quick. They're 20 minute halves. And if you have a bad half, all of a sudden you're looking at 20 minutes left, you're down double digits because you had a bad half. And then if you don't come out in the second half ready to go right away, you're going to see that time just tick, 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 tick. And then before you know it, your season is, is over. I remember a couple of years ago, Virginia was a one seed in 2018. And they were favored by a huge number. They were number one overall seed, not just a one seed, number one overall. And they were playing a 16. And it was this team, Maryland from Baltimore County. And this team just got on them early. Played with no fear. They have nothing to lose. They're a 16 seed. And before you know it, they're up at half. And you're thinking, okay, well, Virginia is going to come out second half and, and get right back at them. Well, they, they, they couldn't get it. They couldn't find that gear. They just had, they had a hard time reeling in this issue that had gotten out of control. And before you know it, time is against you. And 10 minutes, five minutes left, and they're still down 10, 15, 20 points. They ended up losing by 20 points. It wasn't even close. So, you know, it can happen in the, in the blink of an eye, it seems, in these basketball games. And then when a one-and-done scenario is, is presented, it can, be, it can be a tough day for people that they think, oh, I've been waiting five, six months for this moment. And then that day your shooting is off. Your touch is just off. And then boom, you're out. It's not a best of seven where you get, you know, you get to see another game and you can come back and just win four straight. You know, you have one bad game, you win four in a row, like in the NBA and you move on, not in college. So there's the college basketball. I gave you Gonzaga, gave you a couple matchups. The key is coaching. I've always, well, not always, I would say more recently have come to discover that that's a big difference when you look at matchups if you're leaning one way or the other I would look at the coaching the coaching typically makes the difference you look at who's won the tournament and you're going to see guys like coach K at Duke Roy Williams at North Carolina Bayheim at Syracuse Tony Bennett at Virginia because Virginia did come back and win the next year even though they got beat in the first round in 2018 they won in 2019 and then you look at you know, some of the guys that have moved on to Jim Calhoun, who was at UConn for a long time, who's now retired. He won three championships. Yeah. And obviously you go back further and you get guys like Bob Knight and you got guys that even further back, John Wooden, and these guys just went over and over and over. And so there's a big advantage when it comes to coaching. And that's the difference between college and the NBA. You have college, which is a game that is, is reliant on the coaching, the, the tactics, what kind of defense you're going to set up, how you're going to get certain guys open on offense, ball movement. 
NBA, you can let individuals take over. Individual talent will win you a championship. College is much different. You have to have a coach that has a good idea of how he wants to implement his schemes. So again, that is the NCAA. A couple of quick notes. If you're interested here in Final Four appearances, North Carolina has the most. I thought that was interesting. They have 20. Now, most appearances without reaching the Final Four, BYU, who's making their 30th appearance this year. They have yet to reach the Final Four. And then longest streaks. We talked about Gonzaga's at 22. Kansas, 31 straight. They've made it to the NCAA since 1990. And then second is North Carolina. That was from 1975 to 2001. Duke. They just had their streak snapped. They didn't make it this year. They were 1996 to 2019. And then Michigan State, 23 straight times for 1998 to today. All right, I am going to move on to my next story here. And it's a story from the NFL. A Drew Brees story. Drew Brees. We know him well in San Diego. He was a charger at one point. Retired from the NFL, will now be an analyst for NBC Sunday Night Football. Now, Breeze was born January 15th, 1979 in Dallas, Texas. Older brother, and he had a younger brother who played baseball at Baylor as an outfielder. He was considering baseball himself and was a three-sports three star. He played baseball, football, and basketball. In 11th grade, he blew out his ACL. However, he overcame the injury and he ended up leading his school, which was Austin Westlake High School, to a 16-0 record his senior season. And actually, an interesting story, I was reading in on this. Before his senior season, there was somebody throwing the ball around at his high school, and he was just recovering from his ACL surgery. And the guy throwing the ball around was a guy that was looking at transferring to that high school as a quarterback. And Breeze found out, and so he had a competition with this guy and they were doing this competition around the football field, throwing the ball across, trying to hit trash cans. And this guy realized Breeze was much better than he was. So this guy never ended up setting foot on the high school campus that fall. So Breeze was ultra competitive. However, he did not get many offers for college. He only received two and they were Kentucky and Purdue. He wanted to go to school in Texas but he didn't get the offers from Texas or Texas A&M. He ended up going to Purdue. He chose it because of the highly rated academics. And he did not start his freshman year, but his sophomore year in 1998. And he ended up being the leader of what was called the basketball on grass implemented by coach Joe Tiller. So it was a real fast paced moving offense, especially for the big 10. Those of you that may know about the big 10, their football has always been more run dominated pace, you know, control the game, control the clock. So Purdue had this real quick offense where you're constantly passing, constantly moving. He led the Boilermakers to the Big Ten title his senior year in 2000. He actually finished in Heisman voting as number three that year and actually number four the year before in 1999. So he was one of the Heisman finalists for both his junior and senior year. 2001, he ends up drafted by the San Diego Chargers. 
And he was the second quarterback taken in that draft behind Michael Vick. Michael Vick was the highly rated quarterback out of Virginia Tech. It was taken number one. And what's interesting is the Chargers traded that pick, traded out of it, ended up getting a guy named Ladanian Tomlinson, number five. And then Drew Brees as their quarterback with the number 32 pick. So they had Tomlinson and Brees instead of picking Michael Vick. He was listed at just over six foot, six foot one fourth inch of the combine. And that's why he most likely fell to the second round. He backed up Doug Flutie in 2001, and then he became the starter in 2002. 2002 was a tale of two halves. He had a great first half. He was 6-1 and one to start the season. I personally remember that. I was excited. I thought, all right, they're going to make the playoffs. And then second half of the season, 2-7, and 8-8 eight and eight finish. Oh, the dreaded 8-8. Eight and, eight. and so there was no playoffs that year. But you still had confidence. They had Coach Marty Schottenheimer, who had won before in other places. They had this young quarterback who showed flashes in the first half. He showed he could win. All right, give him another year. LT, LaDainian Tomlinson is the running back. He's up and coming. He'll be back next year, no problem. Well, 2003 comes, and he starts 1-7, and seven, and he's benched for Doug Flutie. And at that point, he had hit a low. And he eventually came back week 15 of that year because Flutie got injured and he finished the year, the last couple of games. But he finished with 11 touchdowns and 15 interceptions, which led the team to draft Phillip Rivers. Now, as a San Diego sports fan, you may remember 2004, Rivers and Breeze sharing the same position, who would be the starter. And Breeze beat him out. Breeze ended up beating out Rivers for the starting job in 04 and ended up having a phenomenal year. 27 touchdowns, seven interceptions, made his first Pro Bowl, and most importantly, the playoffs, where they would play the New York Jets on a rainy January night, a wild card game, a 17-all game in overtime. The Chargers drive into field goal range, and Nate Kading misses the field goal. Nate the Great. And Drew Brees and the Chargers would lose 20-17 to to the Jets that night. But there was optimism in the air. They would come back the next year and be better than ever. No, not to worry. Well, 2005 was a rough one. Brees would end up 9-7. and Charger team was just out of the playoffs. They lost games, close games, and, and just couldn't quite get in the playoffs for that second year in a row. And he would tear his labrum, diving for a ball, diving for a fumble against the Denver Broncos. And that would be the last game that Drew Brees would play for the San Diego Chargers. After that season, most teams were scared off by his injury. They had no desire to bring in a quarterback who had a significant shoulder injury, his throwing shoulder. And the only teams that showed interest were the Miami Dolphins and the New Orleans Saints. The Dolphins, however, ended up being scared away by their team trainer who told them that it was not a great option to go after a guy who just had major shoulder surgery. So they traded for Dante Culpepper, who was the quarterback of the Vikings. And New Orleans would end up with Drew Brees. And this was a year after Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, 2005. So Drew Brees walks into New Orleans, city ravaged by a hurricane, 
Nobody really believed in him, just New Orleans. That was the one team left that gave him an offer. And he would end up going to the NFC Championship game his first season, where they would beat Philadelphia, his first playoff win, the Eagles, in the divisional round that year, and then lose to the Chicago Bears in the NFC Championship. But overall, a successful year. And you're thinking more success to come for Drew Brees and the Saints. 2007, however, Saints missed the playoffs. They go 7-9. and nine. And then 2008, they missed the playoffs again, but Brees throws for 5,000 yards for the first time, makes his third Pro Bowl. And in 2009, Brees reaches glory. The Super Bowl victory he finally accomplished. He ended up finishing in the regular season runner-up to Peyton Manning, but he would get his vengeance in the Super Bowl where he would meet Peyton Manning and the Indianapolis Colts and beat the Indianapolis Colts, and he would become Super Bowl MVP. And the Saints still, to this day, they're one and only Super Bowl. 2010, the Saints would go 11-5, and hoping to repeat, but would get bounced in the wild card by Seattle in what is known as the Beastquake game. Marshawn Lynch went crazy that game. 2011, he had another record-breaking season. He led the NFL in completion percentage passing yards, and passing touchdowns. He had the trifecta that year, and he was named to his sixth Pro Bowl that year. The Lions would beat the, the Saints, excuse me, would beat the Lions in the wild card, but lose to the 49ers in the divisional round. 2012, the Saints would come up short of the playoffs. Breeze had another phenomenal year, throwing for over 5,000 passing yards, and he was establishing himself, really, his reputation at this point was a marksman. He had the Best accuracy, one of the best, most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. 2013, the Saints would get back in the playoffs and they would play the Eagles and Nick Foles, which is one of Big J's favorite quarterbacks. And they would meet in the wild card round and Breeze and the Saints would be victorious. However, they lost to Seattle, lost Seattle again, just like a few years earlier. In the divisional round, that was the year Seattle actually won the Super Bowl. That was Seattle's Super Bowl run. And in 2014, 15, and 16, the Saints would finish 7-9 every year. He had phenomenal passing stats, but the Saints just couldn't get the defense to go along with the offense. Finally, in 2017, they got back on track, winning the division and beating Carolina in the wild card round before losing to Case Keenum and the Minnesota Vikings in the Minneapolis Miracle of 2017 when the Vikings would go to the NFC Championship game. And that game, of course, is known as the Minneapolis Miracle because of the final play of the game where the Saints missed a tackle that led to a Viking touchdown at the end of the game. 2018, the Saints would finish as top seed in the NFC. Breeze would finish as the runner-up for MVP voting for the second time in his career, he would finish runner-up to Patrick Mahomes. And the Saints looked like they were going to the Super Bowl in the final seconds of regulation in the NFC Championship game, possibly a second Super Bowl for Breeze. But unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be. And a controversial call at the end of the game versus the Rams led to the Saints settling for a field goal with time left. The Rams would get the ball back. They would kick a field goal to tie the game, and then the Rams would win it in overtime keeping Breeze from reaching that elusive second Super Bowl. In 2019, 
the Saints would finish 13 and 3, but it was a competitive conference and they would get the three seed, which meant that they had to play in the wild card round to Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. And Kirk Cousins would get his first victory, first playoff victory of his career at the expense of Drew Brees and the Saints, who would finish the year disappointed. And finally, this past season, the 2020 season, the Saints would win the division for the fourth straight year and be primed for another Super Bowl run, perhaps. But Tom Brady, who had joined the t- Tampa Bay, almost said the Tampa Bay Bucks, the Tampa Bay Bucks, and Tampa wouldn't be denied. As we all know, they won the Super Bowl and they beat Breeze in the wild card round, or excuse me, the divisional round. He won the wild card round against the Bears, but would lose to the Bucks in the divisional round. And that would prove to be Breeze's final game in the NFL. He retires on March 14th, 2021, exactly 15 years after signing with New Orleans. And he retires number one currently in NFL history in passing completions. He's got 7,142, number one in NFL history and passing yards, 80,000. 358 made 13 Pro Bowls, and he was the last active player from the 2001 NFL draft class. Draft class from 20 years ago. So let's go ahead and compare him to other quarterbacks. He was a phenomenal quarterback, no doubt. But how does he stack up? Well, I'm pulling up some of these other quarterbacks. Obviously, Tom Brady's the GOAT. He's the number one. You got Peyton Manning, number three all-time passing touchdowns. I'll read it. Tom Brady, one. Drew Brees, two. Peyton Manning, three. Brett Favre, four. Phillip Rivers, five. Dan Marino, six. Aaron Rodgers, seven. Ben Roethlisberger, eight. Eli Manning, nine. And Matt Ryan, ten. So those are your top ten quarterbacks in passing TDs. Now... If you look at just numbers, Breeze is number two. But here's something I also want to look at. How many times were the most valuable player where they were the guy in the league? He was dominant. Drew Breeze never won the MVP. If you look at that list, Brady has three. Manning has five. Favre has three. Rivers has zero. So he's better than Rivers. I'll give him that. He's still got credibility with Rivers. Marino won the MVP. Rodgers, who's at number seven, he's going to go up. Aaron Rodgers is going to end up in the top five. He's going to pass Rivers, going to pass Marino, probably pass Favre. He'll be in the top four. Rodgers has won three MVPs. Now, what's interesting is Roethlisberger's never won. Manning's never won. Matt Ryan's won one. So out of the top 10, the 2004 draft class, actually has zero MVPs when you look at that quarterback class from 2004. Rivers, Roethlisberger, and Manning have zero between the three of them. But it's considered a great draft class because Roethlisberger's got multiple Super Bowls, so does Manning, and Rivers has great numbers. But they never actually won the MVP, none of them. They They all played in this era where Tom Brady was great, Peyton Manning was great, and Aaron Rodgers. I would say Aaron Rodgers would be a top three quarterback and when I say this era, I'm talking 2000 to 2020 when Breeze played. And I would say Breeze at any given time was no better than third or fourth in the league. So he's always going to be considered a great player. But is he one of the legends of the game? 
probably not. He'll probably end up being a great quarterback who put up great numbers, and he did win a Super Bowl. So he's got to be up there as far as one of the best, but he's not quite in the elusive top tier that I would say Brady and Favre and Manning and probably Rodgers are in. And then, of course, Montana, this is why this is funny. You go through this exercise and you realize Montana's at 18 as far as number of touchdowns thrown. He's at number 18 overall, 273. But Montana's up there, too. So you can't just look at numbers because Montana has, you know, four Super Bowls. And nobody disputes he's a great player. He won a couple MVPs. He's, he's obviously one of the top five quarterbacks all time. But I think Breeze in my opinion, lands somewhere between 5 to 10 right now. Currently, if you had to list top five quarterbacks ever, he's probably not quite in the top five. Because, again, Brady, Manning, Montana, Favre, even Rodgers, even though his career's not done yet, he's, he's up there. But if you look at that 6 to 10 range, I think that's where Breeze most likely fits. So Breeze, great career. and comes to an end. A couple other notes on Breeze. He actually beat Andy Roddick, the famous tennis player, when he was a younger tennis player. They were both around the same age. I think Roddick, yeah, Roddick was a few years younger, so Breeze had the age advantage when they played, and it looks like he beat him in tennis, and then Roddick actually beat him as well. But Breeze ends up with some of the best numbers you'll read in NFL history. And I would say, looking back at that 2001 draft class, he was the best quarterback. You know, him and Michael Vick, I'd probably go with Drew Brees over Michael Vick. Michael Vick had a, had a great career too, but Brees had one of those all-time careers, top 10 quarterback careers ever. Again, probably put him between 6 and 10. So I got your your Breeze story for you. Hopefully, even if you're not a big Drew Brees fan, that gave you a little more insight into Drew Brees. And, of course, March Madness starts up on Thursday, verse 4. And keep your eyes on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. That is the team to watch. This is their year. They're going to do it. It's now or never. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. You can catch me every Tuesday and Friday at 3 p.m. wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Smack Sports Inc. This is Afternoon Drive on the Smack Sports Radio Network. Until the next one, I'm Thomas Vermazen, signing off. <laughs>